WB and Amblin Entertainment dropped the intro to Tiny Toons Luniversity. And is Bugs Bunny working on a documentary? Well, of course you realize this means podcast. We're tiny, we're toony, we're learning to be loony, and we'll be famous soon at the college of our dreams. We got our admissions and worked over tuition, fulfilling our ambitions with a faculty esteemed. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today, it is an honor and a pleasure to bring on fellow Looney Tune fan and podcaster, as well as a radio host, Buzznov. Welcome, Buzznov. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm well. I am rejuvenated from a long week of Comic-Con. It was <laughs> exhausting, <laughs> for sure. We were running every which way to catch all the panels that we wanted to catch, to do all the activations that we wanted to do. But we're here to talk about the Looney side of Comic-Con. And yes, fans, Looney Tunes were there. And as Buzznav can attest, I ran into him at the Chuck Jones Gallery, which we are going to go in depth on as far as who showed up, who was signing, who was drawing, who was doing voices. It was just an all-out loony mayhem on the floor, as well as around the convention. I saw a lot of loony love in the convention. You you had, obviously, the Jeff Bergman panel, which we're going to get to. It was called Looney Legacy in Conversation, and there was a lot of fans. One of them, and you saw this as well, brought their gremlins to poster oh my gosh for jeff bergman yeah. to sign how awesome is that that was unbelievable i mean to to see this man just have this gremlins 2 poster to not just the shock of us both of us we were standing there in the corner but then when we're seeing jeff in shock seeing this poster not in he was literally in disbelief at that i feel like that someone <laughs> had brought this Gremlins 2 poster knowing that he was a part of that movie to the point where I heard him say, I now have to go back and watch it. <laughs> he literally he literally said, I have to now go back and watch it because everybody, you know, everyone talks about the first movie of Gremlins. They don't talk about Gremlins 2. So him seeing that there is a fan that knows this, this was probably the highlight of his day. I love seeing that reaction in his face. It was beautiful. Well, I talk about it all the time. I'm a huge fan of Gremlins 2, as well as Wayne's World 2. I feel like those two sequels don't get talked about enough. And for Jeff to see this, be confronted with it, that is a magical moment. Because if you know your history, Jeff Bergman voiced Bugs and Daffy in the intro to Gremlins 2 because Mel had just passed away. He passed away in 1989. And Jeff went yeah. on 
Bugs for Tiny Toons right after that. And then Joe Dante comes along with a love letter to Chuck Jones in Gremlins 2. Chuck Jones obviously being in Gremlins 1 in a little cameo. And to have Bugs and Daffy there in that intro to establish the tone of the movie you're about to see was just perfection. And Jeff nailed it. Stop the music! What's up, Duck? What's up? I'll tell you what's up. I'm taking charge here. That's what's up. He nailed it as those characters, and he still does to this day. We're going to touch on everything that we saw, but first, Tiny Toons Luniversity dropped their intro. Buzznuff, what did you think of this, and did it hit the nostalgia feels for you? So, it literally did hit the nostalgia feels for me right as soon as I heard the first notes of the th- of the song, and it literally was, oh my god, it's literally the theme song. So it, that's what was in my head. I just immediately heard the notes, and I was going, it's it's literally the theme song. And yes, it is an update, but there were lines that were in the song that were from the original Tiny Toons when they showcased. If you guys do get a chance to see the intro. It will show some of the Looney Tunes characters in 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 the intro, and that section literally is the same lines from the first cartoon version of Tiny Tunes. So they kept that that section intact for that, and I thought that was so cool. I was going, "That's awesome that they just left that part in untouched uh, since 1933." I was like, <laughs> "There it is, right there." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, that was so cool." But it, it it feels like honestly when you watch it it didn't it didn't lose any of its spunk it didn't lose any of its touch and and you know Eric Bowser I love him to death you know and he's the voice of Buster in this in, in, incarnation of the show and it he really does sound like Buster from the original I mean, he's that was really insanely accurate I mean, that yeah. for me, it was just insanely accurate. I loved every aspect of that intro. It just, like I said, it the design work as well, it has the look of the old Tiny Toons as well. So it was very well done. I loved that the fact that they kept the theme and also hit on some notes on, from the previous theme. So it was it was absolutely fantastic. Well done. So the melody is the same and they have new lyrics over that. Obviously, there are some lyrics that, as you mentioned, since 1933, they kept. I mean, why would you change that? That is the history of Looney Tunes. And we're going to a Looniversity now to become a Looney Tune. I think that is the graduation is you actually get to I, I hope that we get to see Tiny Toons in shorts. I hope that there is a a revitalization for these characters amongst kids, amongst parents. And what happens is at the end of the series, they actually star in their own shorts like the Looney Tunes did back in the heyday. That would be awesome. But that's, let me digress. That, that's uh, uh, you know, way in the future. <laughs> We're like all the way over here. All the way over there. All but... the way over there. So this theme song means a lot to me because obviously it hits you in the, in the, in the feels as somebody who yeah. grew, grew up with Tiny Toons. But also I think it's so fresh and catchy and obviously it's an earworm. It's going to stick with you. And 
they did such a good job. I, I got to give a shout out to Ashley Crystal Hairston and all of the new cast for Tiny Tunes. They just did a phenomenal job singing this song. And it is reminiscent yep. of what Charlie Adler did. It's reminiscent of what Trust McNeil. Trust McNeil did. Thank you. And it's just wonderful to have Tiny Tunes back in this capacity. I, I'm just overjoyed by it. And I'm looking forward to watching these adventures at this new university. Now, Sabina, my wife and I have seen two episodes and she is going to come on to this episode with me and we are going to give you our full review of those two episodes. We were asked to do so before the strike and we wanted to upheld that commitment, but our hearts do go out with WGA strong and SAG after strong. Those, yes. those strike members are, we are with you. Uh, <laughs> and we hope that we, strike we wouldn't soon. have, I mean, I completely agree and I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I just feel as like you strongly about that because you know, if, we wouldn't have anything to love and we wouldn't be doing this conversation right now if it weren't for these writers and these actors that are putting these productions out there. So we're behind you 100%. We stand behind you 100%. Um, as you said, WGA strong, SAG after strong. I mean, honestly, you are the reason why we are fans. <laughs> That's really it. You're the reason why we are fans and why we are talking about this right now in such a way that we are we are basically fanboying and I, and if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here. So I, I am standing, we both stand behind you guys every step of the way. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly, you know, support everyone picketing and, and with the, the signs out front of the studios, I'm with you in spirit. I cannot be there during the day. I have a day job, but I'm with you in spirit and I'm rooting for you guys. So this theme song is so cool that they incorporate going to a university setting and learning to be Looney Tunes. Like that is yeah. so cool. That is such a cool update. I equate it to Jurassic world opening because Jurassic world did this thing where they, they hinted at what could be in Jurassic park. And I feel like oh, Tiny okay. did the same thing. They hinted at, what this could be, what the next stage could be of it. And now the Lunaverse is open to it. And so with, <laughs> with the... <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> with the series, I feel like we're actually getting some answers as to how you become a Looney Tune, how you graduate. Obviously, Porky didn't have to go through all of this because he was one of the first ever Looney Tunes, but he was in school for a good part of those cartoons. So he was, he know, was, <laughs> yeah. he was, that's right. He was tangentially related to going to school to become a Looney Tune. But you know, I love hey, his school might've helped him with his stutter a little bit because it did improve over time. So <laughs> that's very we'll true. say, we'll say that. <laughs> All right, so let's just give a shout out to the new theme song composer, Matthew Jansen, uh, as he, you know, combined the iconic tune from Bruce Broughton. And that iconic theme actually won an Emmy Award. Like, yeah. he does a good job of remixing the original arrangement. And the new lyrics just fit the new college iteration that these characters are going through and are going to be a part of as they go. And I'm just, 
I, I'm enamored by the look of it. If we can, let, let's talk about the the overall animation of it because it's so dynamic. It's so cinematic. You have more like long shots in this than you did in the original. The other, the original was kind of cutty. You know, it cut around a lot. This one, yeah. you, you start at the statues and then you get dollied up and pushed into the the doors as they burst open and your characters are right in your face from the get-go and you see all of them. Yeah. I'm going to say right now, take what you know of these characters and throw it out the window because this new iteration is different. They are aged up. They are dealing with new things. It is college. They are, you know, expanding and growing and evolving. And I think you want to see that. You want to see that in characters that you're entertained by, but that also bring in joy for you. And I think these characters are ones to expand upon because, you know, that series from the 90s was great, but it was short-lived. And I hope this is something that can evolve and keep growing because the school is so big. There's so much to do there. I was going to add to the fact of everybody needing to take what they know about the original series and just basically put it out of your mind. Yeah. Uh, because again, as you said, even when I, I, I was unfortunately not able to see the the panel with the episodes that were released at, at Comic-Con, but I also knew about the series coming into it and reading up about it and knowing about it. And Yes, there were a lot of people basically iterating out there in the social media scope that what's this about Buster and Babs being this? And it was just, it was, I just basically said, don't look at it that way anymore because it's completely different from the original series. As you just said, this is a reboot. This is not a continuation. It's a complete and utter reboot. Yeah. Um, and it, it's definitely, as you said, there's going to be different topics. There's going to be different themes. It's going to be completely sheltered away from the 90s series, which I think honestly is a good thing because in this setting that, that they're in now and to basically become a Looney Tune, I, I honestly think that there's a lot of story that they can play with that. There's a lot of things they can do to the point where they're going to be able to focus on not just this one set of characters, but they're going to be able to focus on these other sets of characters. They'll be able to have their own story. So it won't have to focus on Buster and Babs all the time like it used to. We'll be able to focus on Hampton and Plucky and and everyone else, and, and as well as the secondary characters that they're going to be bringing in from the OG Looney Tunes sphere. I think that's <laughs> going to be so awesome because as much as I'm saddened that we're about to end the Looney Tunes cartoons tier in my eye, it, it's, it's nice that it's going to be continuing in this kind of capacity. So I think that's also, I think that's a great. Perfectly said. And I'm going to dive deep into those episodes and, and talk about what we saw in a bit, but let's stick with Buzznov here and talk about our SDCC 2023 Looney experience. So when you got to the convention, like what were you looking for? What was most exciting to you? And what were you most anticipating? So for all of you listening, this was my very first one. I've never been to a Comic-Con before. I 
did not even think for the life of me that I was even going to be able to go at all because applying for press is not that easy, I think. And the fact that they sent the email... Okay. Funny story before I continue. I get the email about hotel apocalypse basically <laughs> it's time to pick your hotel and it of course sends to all the badge holders that it's time to for the lottery pick the hotel and i'm getting this link and i'm going but i don't have a bat and i didn't finish the word badge i literally just screamed going i freaking have a badge <laughs> so and and i was like are you freaking kidding me and so I get the email the next day saying like, oh, by the way, congratulations. You are able to cover for press. And I was like, I, I, I literally was crying profusely. Yes, I was crying, y'all. Tears of joy were streaming on my face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I was, it, was, it was an excitement that I never knew that I could experience. This was absolutely a thrill for me. Because like it or not, I am a geek. And... The chance to get to experience just what Comic-Con is about was a huge aspect of my life. I've been wanting to try to get to this for the past six years. Wow. And yeah, yeah. Started this, I started this back in 20, oh, my math's wrong, seven years. 2016 is when I started this, uh, this kind of trek to get here. And here I am seven years later, I got here. and. I I honestly did not know what to expect because as soon as the strike started, I had no idea what was going to happen. Everything was point. in such a weird limbo. And, and, you know, I mean, even now, no one really knows what, if you're a part of that circle, what you can and cannot cover, what you can and cannot post. And, you know, like right. you want to you, you participate in the strike. You, you want to tell people like, I'm supportive, but, and, and like, you know, you, you just don't want to cross any bounds, but the bounds are invisible right now. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of difficult. It's very, it's very hard. It's, it's, it's not as black and white as everybody makes it out to be. Um, and I also felt that when I got there, nothing really changed my point of view of it. I had a fantastic time i i enjoyed every aspect of it and there were a lot of people who i talked to that said this was probably one of the better conventions that they have been to for comic-con in san diego in the most recent years because ironically because of the strike because a lot of the focus went back into what it was all about initially it was about the comics it was about the illustrators it was about the artists it was about the writers for the comic books so a lot of these these attendees really felt that it encompassed that a little bit more exhibitors even felt a bit more of increase in sales because since a lot of the panels and a lot of the studios had pulled out a lot of these fans now because there wasn't really anything big going on at hall h where were they going to put their time at? So now they were able to put their time into going to the exhibitors and uh, seeing the exhibitors and, and, and going to the um, activations and everything on the offsite. So they were, they were able to actually experience what Comic-Con was. So I thought, I thought that was a great aspect to it. I loved visiting Funko. I loved the fact that I got to pop myself. I was able to make a Funko pop of me. I can't wait for that to arrive to my house so I can show that off. But 
that was a thrill for me. The the Funko party that I went to was amazing. Uh, the the Nat Geo party that I went to was absolutely phenomenal, and it was just it was just an absolute great time. I did not know that there was going to be the Chuck Jones gallery there until. I saw your post on Instagram, so I saw your story about it, and then that's when I said, oh my gosh, they're here. So, of course, I had to make my way over there because I wasn't expecting anything as far as Looney Tunes go this year. I knew that they were there, I think, last year when when it came back in person for the in-person ceremonies. So I didn't think that it was going to be there, but when I saw that it was there, that was a, an immediate goal of mine was to make sure I went to that booth. 1815, I went to that booth, made sure I saw Eric I, and I met Ben Olsen. And it was just, oh my gosh, it, those designs of his were absolutely amazing. I loved every, pretty much everything that he had hanging up, especially the, the Deadpool Wolverine one. That was my favorite. <laughs> That was my favorite. I wish I wish I bought that one. But <laughs> you mentioned that you know being a geek and being at this mega geek place, a uh, place for people to be comfortable in their geekdom. I think that is the overwhelmingly warm sense that you get while being there. And honestly, I'm so glad that you made it in there. I'm so glad that you got to go this year. Because, yeah, this is actually the first year the Chuck Jones Gallery was on the floor. Usually they're there, but they're, they have a brick and mortar down the way. It's off one of the oh, streets so they, that lead okay. into the convention. And it is, it is also great. It is also a fun time. I have done many posts about it in the past. And that was actually one of the first places that I ever got to experience that was back in 2012. And I didn't know there was going to be a Chuck Jones uh, anything. And mm -hmm. I walk in and Chuck Jones's grandson greets me and asks me what my favorite Chuck Jones cartoon is. Now, at the time, my jaw was on the floor and I was just in awe of the surrounding art that his grandfather did. And I was beside myself. I was, as a Looney Tunes fan, I was just so overwhelmed by the appreciation happening in front of me that I couldn't even think of a title because I was just like, Oh my God, like this is so great. And obviously I came to my senses and I had a conversation with the man and it was, uh, it was incredible. Water, water, every hair is my answer to that question. But, <laughs> but having that be on the Comic-Con floor was another experience that I wasn't expecting because you had fans who are Looney Tunes fans, who are animation fans, come up to this booth and just geek out that they're seeing this art in person because they would not have found the brick and mortar like I did back in the day. They were just walking Comic-Con, looking at toys, looking at shirts, looking at exhibits, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, boom, Looney Tune art. And it's not just yeah. Looney Tune art. It is Looney Tune art by Chuck Jones himself. And a lot of that stuff didn't actually make the shorts. Like it's, it's pencil sketches. It's paintings. It's all kinds of crazy things that Chuck did with these characters that a lot of people haven't actually seen. I had never seen them before going to the, going to this gallery. And I'm so glad that you got to do that. I have posted a lot of photos 
from my time at the gallery. So you can check that out on the Instagram. By the way, thank you everyone who's followed the Instagram because we've reached over 10,000 followers. I'm actually almost at 11,000. I will be at 11,000 when this goes up. That is insane to me, but it just shows that there's a lot of reverence and appreciation for what came before in the medium of animation. And I could not be more excited to share that joy with you, to share that love with you, and to celebrate these characters, these artists, these writers, directors, and everyone who is a creative person who touched these um, properties, Looney Tunes show, the Looney Tunes cartoon series, which is just ending. And the last batch is out on Max right now. If you have not watched Looney Tunes cartoons, what are you doing listening to this? I beg of you, <laughs> go, watch, go watch Looney Tunes cartoons and then come back. because Oh my gosh, is, please watch them. Please watch them. Incredible. And that is a lot of where the, the modern reverence comes from. But... I digress. Let's get back to the, yes, these incredible artists. You, you mentioned Ben Olsen came up. We also had Dan Bowden. His artwork is incredible. And S. Preston, who's actually been on the show. Both Ben and S. Preston have been on This Means Podcast talking about their work with these characters. And if you want to go back and listen to them, I implore you to, because they are amazing. They're incredible creatives. They know these characters in and out. And what S. Preston does, and I really like this, no one else is combining baseball or sports with the Looney Tunes like S. Preston. He has an entire business where he just combines these characters with different teams. Now, if you want to see Bugs Bunny play for the Dodgers, that's where you go. You go to SPreston.com, <laughs> and then you will see Bugs Bunny play for the Dodgers. And I guarantee you, you're going to like something that you see over there because his artwork is phenomenal it just i just literally hear that where he's he's playing for the dodgers and all i can hear is being benedere right now as the statue of liberty just going that's what the man said the man said that that's what he said (laughs) (laughs) you don't know what i'm referencing guys please you need to go back and watch the old school looney tune cartoon where bugs was playing baseball ran all the way up to the empire state building got the ball and then the ref said that he's out. And the and the guy's like, I'm out! <laughs> and that's when the Statue of Liberty just comes to life and just goes, that's what the man said. The man said that. That's what he said. And then Bugs is literally <laughs> repeating exactly what she said. One of my favorite shorts ever. One of my favorite shorts ever. It's a but great one. I, I do digress as well. I was just so enamored just being in that booth, just seeing all of that artwork, uh, seeing, as you mentioned, if you seeing any of the Looney Tunes characters in in sports memorabilia, I was more ena- I was a lot enamored with seeing like Looney Tunes crossing over with other characters within the superhero sphere. You know, I was I loved I loved the photo I the artwork I saw of the Flash with the Road Runner. That was a favorite of mine. It, it was just I was going, huh, why isn't there a short of that? That would have been incredible to watch. I would have loved to have seen that. Well, the closest um, thing we have is the video that's gone viral with the Flash, Speedy, and Roadrunner all in this little foot race that I've talked about before and is on the Instagram. And that's for a Cartoon Network promo. And Oh, yes. I do remember this. And as yes. I mentioned last week, now who wins that race? We do. 
we the fans we the fans win because we're seeing that we're seeing that play out and i think that's really fun yes that is that is true i do remember that promo oh gosh um and then just even while you're in the booth they're playing all the looney tunes cartoons so of course when i'm walking up the first thing that they were playing was rabbit of seville nice and it was. That was the first one I saw when I walked up there. And I was. I said, of course that's going to be the cartoon that's playing. So I had to hang out there for at least a little while. I had to get my fix in. And then, <laughs> and then it went into the Duck Dodgers cartoon. So I literally couldn't leave after that point. Not I had either. to watch Duck Dodgers and, and Marvin the Martian just going at it. So it was... It was it was great, but what was really amazing was just seeing those fans come up to that booth and just showcasing their love for the art as well as the Looney Tunes scape itself and meeting these artists as well as Eric Bowser when he was there in the booth on those days. It was just for me as a fan looking on the outside, looking in, just watching those other fans just express how much they love this era, this genre itself was absolutely a thrill for me. I, I love the fact that I'm seeing other Looney Tunes fans express their love for Looney Tunes. That, that was pretty much, I think, the biggest flex for me. As much as I loved being in that booth, seeing that artwork, meeting everybody, it was the fans themselves just coming up and showing their love. I think that was really the highlight for me. Yeah, ditto. And whenever I walked up, it was what's Opera Doc that was playing. And I had to, you know, be enamored for a minute with the oh, yeah, that was on the too. intricacies uh, of that cartoon. But let's not leave the floor just yet, because down the way in the far A aisle, which is the furthest away you could be from literally anything, there was yes, <laughs> yes, was a a collection of statues, and I I kid you not, I was I was so blown away by this. Now I had no idea LM Treasures was going to be there, and. I have never seen such life-size replicas of it was Bunny, insane. of Wiley Coyote, of Daffy Duck, of Sylvester the Cat, of Roadrunner, just the Road Runner, at yep. me in my face. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Now, something magical happened here. I went up to the person who was running that booth, and I was like, I know you have a long line of people. But I have this Looney Tunes podcast, and I'm sure that my fans want to see these statues in all their glory. Would it be possible for me to do a 360 around this entire display? And the guy goes, yeah, hold on. Let me cut the line for you. And so he goes over to the front of the line. He tells the woman that's like running the line to like stop it. They literally like stop the line for me once everyone clears out i'm able to record this incredible video in 4k by the way of all of the <laughs> statues and i i put it to um i put it to merry go round broke down because it is a wonderful display first of all but it is really in sync with what is happening like you're seeing the cartoon characters basically in real life and when yeah. have you ever seen that and they did tell me they have a Tweety Bird. It's not in the video because it wasn't on the display. But they have a Tweety Bird. It was just in the warehouse. And a fun comment was, well, look at the expression on Sylvester's face. I think Granny needs to get the broom. 
I really like that. <laughs> I really like that uh, comment. But you know, like I I would die if I had like a Bugs and Tweety statue in my office. Like the, like who has who has the money for that? I think they're running around twenty five hundred dollars per statue per character. Per sta- yeah, I think per statue. And yeah. I'm just I, well, how much is Tweety? Tweety cannot be 25k or 2500. Like that would be way too much for a little bird. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless it's monster Tweety, then I would Oh, uh, yeah, from then the, I would the, pay the Jekyll and Hyde short, yeah. $2,500. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's half. Maybe it's 1250. Maybe it's 1250. There you go. That that makes sense. That makes sense. Yes. But did did you get a chance to see the statues in person? That was insane. <laughs> as soon as you posted the video on your Instagram story, I immediately p- went to him and I said, where is this? Where is this? Cause I'm going there right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally ran over there. It was absolutely phenomenal though. The detail was exquisite. Yeah. But, and the colors, but I, the colors were just absolutely insane I, in a, in the best way possible, just so you know. And as you said, I would clear up my bank account if I could to buy at least one of them, <laughs> but I didn't. But I would have if I if I if I did not have the manpower. Which but, character would you buy? Uh, I would have bought the Road Runner. Okay. I would have bought the Road Runner. I mean, it's sure. such a rare a rare thing to see the Road Runner. Like, first of all, staring at your face, but second of all, a Road Runner anything <laughs> like that is a character that does not get enough love in product you know in consumer product i was gonna say in product it really does not no not at all um it it's what i will say what was interesting when i was at the the jones booth and i was talking to ben about chuck jones shorts and everything and it was the it was the 95 cartoon chariots of i can't remember was it chariots of fur chariots of fur and Literally, when I first saw that cartoon, which I didn't know was a real thing, the reason I say that is because there was a Geico commercial. (laughs) There was a Geico commercial that basically took the animation stills from Chariots of Fur from that into the Geico commercial. So it literally was the same thing. And then that's when I did some investigating and I found that it came from that short. And then that's when I found that short. And I literally was going, oh my gosh, it was a Chuck Jones cartoon. This is insanely amazing. I love that it basically emulated how it looked back in the day when it was originally introduced in back in the uh, late forties, early fifties. And it was just, it, the, it was just phenomenal. And I just love the fact that I got to talk to Ben about, the Chuck Jones shorts in the nineties, because I I believe bugs also had one as well. From hair to eternity. From hair to eternity. Yes. Little buttercup. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, that that was a wonderful period of, you know, later in life, Chuck Jones uh, returning to these characters and having this, you know, Renaissance of art for them. it, It feels like his legacy is living on through relatives but also through these creatives such as ben olsen and and s preston and dan Bowden, and i'm just enamored by the art that they're producing now moving away from the floor and going up to where the panels are we had one looney tune panel this year 
And that was hosted by Jeff Bergman himself. Yes, he does the voice of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Sylvester the Cat. So many more. So many more. Um, And he was on a panel that was like filled to the brim, mind you. I believe people were standing. I got a video of everyone. They were were standing. Yes. For good reason. Because he posted a wonderful, he made a poster of every character he does that's popular. And everyone flocked to that panel. It was a, you, you can't miss this panel. But it was not only Jeff Bergman that was there because he presented a trailer for a documentary called Looney, Looney Legends in Conversation alongside Noel Blank, Mel Blank's only son, yeah. who is 75 years old. And they have created a wonderful docu-series that I am jumping at the bit to see. This looked so cool. It is about the life of Mel Blank. What was it like when the kids would come to your house for Halloween? Halloween was crazy. When I say 2,000 kids, I'm telling you that's the truth. There would just be hundreds of them at a time. He had an automobile accident. He was in a body cast up to here with his legs straight out like this. And we were doing the Flintstones out of the bedroom. We did 65 Flintstone shows. 65 episodes. I met your dad just one time. I was in my junior year and I had overheard that he was staying at a hotel that was on the campus. I don't know how I got the nerve to do it. (laughs) And I knocked on the door and in about three seconds, I heard this voice, "Uh, just a jiffy. And I thought, okay, I definitely have the right door (laughs) because that voice is unmistakable. A lot of you may not know this, but Jeff Bergman had a minor uh, interaction with Mel Blanc before he passed away. And then he was the one that was chosen by Steven Spielberg to take on the mantle of Bugs Bunny immediately afterwards. And and. The, the whole birthday death connection is just mind-blowing to me. So Mel Blank passed away on Jeff Bergman's birthday whenever he oh. was like 26, 27. Yeah, like right right around then. And th- that is just like kind of a weird like passing. I was going to say, that's a, that's a little Twilight Zone-ish. A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. And he talked about all of this. And he talked yeah. about his encounter with Mel and how magical it was. And it, it kind of just reinvigorated his love for voiceover and getting into that. And yes, I cannot wait to see this documentary. We saw a little trailer and I have some footage of it. So I'll definitely be playing that in this audio. But like, uh, you, you had to have been there. It was just electric. And for there to be such an energy around Mel Blank, that is something that is so cool and so respected and so deserved because Mel Blank was such a phenomenal human being and gave us so much <laughs> um, yeah. with the voices. Like you created these voices out of literally nothing. I mean, see, yeah, it, legit <laughs> nothing. And it just, it just happened. I do have some trivia for, for your listeners out there because I kept saying, this is, I know this is true. I know this is true. And I wanted to make sure I looked it up before I said it. And I was going like, yes, I was right. Because I wanted to make sure that, because we're talking about Bergman stepping in 
and basically being Mel Blanc's predecessor at this point and going forward, voicing Bugs and, and Daffy um, going forward. When Jetsons the movie came out, and as we talked about the fact that Mel Blanc passed away, he passed away during the production of that movie as well as George O'Hanlon, who was the original voice of George Jetson, and Mel Blanc, as we all know, was the voice of Mr. Spacely. So it's funny you mentioned that because Jeff Bergman actually came in and provided additional work, voiceover work for those two characters when they did pass away because they both did not get to complete the lines. So Jeff had to step in to finish those lines for production. So I thought that was an interesting thing that when you mentioned that, I was going that a little bit of a tie-in for, for also Jeff Bergman is that he came in and uh, did the um, did the additional voice voice characterizations for George Jetson and and Mr. Spacely after uh, George O'Hanlon and Mel Blanc's passing. And he's such a warm man and his spirit is so pure. I mean, like just hanging out with him for the brief time that I did right after his panel it was really magical and you know we geeked out about all kinds of things and i i can't wait to like share that with you but like yeah um this was a panel that i really am glad that i got to be in that room like i mean just to witness it but i'm so glad it's happening like this docuseries i cannot wait for people to see what we saw and you know, his legacy is, I mean, Mel's legacy is it like, it's so huge. It takes four actors to just embody the characters that he left behind at least. Um, At least. And he basically did over a thousand voices in just one person. And it's just, it's amazing the talent that he was able to produce from that. I mean, look, Mel Blanc, I mean, yes, he had a long history with um, voice characterizations. He also had the history with television, you know, being a part of the Jack Benny show prior. And it's just, I'm just so enamored by that man. I mean, I always would think about at times whenever I would watch any of his work, especially in the 60s, where I literally just sit there and go, there was a possibility that he probably would not have been able to continue if, God forbid, that car accident took him from us at that point. And, you know, I do think about that because it was it was a very, which I'm sure will be touched in this docu-series, a very bad accident. It was a very bad accident to the point where the cast of the Flintstones literally were at his bedside. And when he started recovering, they recorded his line, the lines with him while he was at his bedside, uh, recovering from his car accident. I was that to me, I always found that story to be absolutely heartwarming that the cast then loved him so much that they really were at his bedside, just working with him. It was Mel Blank was just an absolute treasure. He really was an absolute treasure. And he, is undoubtedly missed but its legacy his legacy will forever live on with all of these iterations these uh reboots revivals everything because i said uh, eric bowser was on my show and i even said it to him it's like you somehow Im- were able to also embody mel blank by not being mel blank yeah. but you were able to do that with 
Bugs and and Daffy, more specifically Daffy than anything, because I always felt with his Daffy, he brought it back to the wacky Daffy before the the Daffy got involved with the Bugs shorts. And I I just felt that, you know, as, as I said, he he was able to just basically have Mel's legacy live on through him. And it's been absolutely phenomenal to watch. So I'm very, I'm very excited for this. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And you know, Jeff and I got to chat afterwards. It was my wife's and I, our sixth year anniversary. We got married at Comic-Con down the street from the convention. Thank you very much. And Jeff Bergman gave us this really sweet message uh, from Tweety Bird that I'll play for you right now. Wait, this is Jonathan. So he has got an amazing His wedding anniversary is actually today. Today. He got married at Comic-Con. We did six years ago. We got married at Comic-Con six years ago by Orlando Jones. It was through sci-fi. In this room. Not in this room. (laughs) (laughs) Down the street. But it was still a Comic-Con production. And it was a immaculate wedding. And we're so grateful (laughs) that that happened. But I was wearing Looney Tune chucks as a part of my tuxedo and wardrobe. And I wanted to give a little bit of our fandoms into the wedding. And my my wife wore Wonder Woman's uh, crown and and, uh, tiara, I think it's called. Um, and I, I'm just a huge fan of this man, as well as the Looney Tunes. You can follow me at This Means Podcast on all social media. But Great I, podcast, by the way. Thank you very much. Okay. You, I love it. I love it. I see it all the time. <laughs> I love it. I like everything that you do. <laughs> and I appreciate that. And we just reached 10K, and it's a Woo! monumental moment. Nice. Thank you very much. But my, my wife's favorite character is Tweety. And I wanted. It, I was wondering if you would be able to wish us a happy anniversary as Tweety. Of course. I'd be honored to have you. Yes, uh, let's see, okay. Ooh, well, I just want to wish you a very, very happy anniversary, and I hope that you have many, 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 many more really, really happy anniversaries, and maybe you'll celebrate your 10th anniversary here at Comic-Con. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was amazing. And also, he he just hung out with me. Like it was so cool. Like we, we geeked out about all kinds of crazy things. Um, Walter Matthau. And then he did a Walter Matthau impression, Frank Gershon. Uh, we, and then he, we talked about the Riddler, the Riddler. Yes. And then we talked about, uh, him as Foghorn Leghorn. You do Sylvester and Foghorn in that series. And it is a retro series of the throwback to what Mel created. So, what was it like to work in that kind of respect where you're you're doing these short form jokes and it's in this retro looking style that is reminiscent of exactly what Mel was working with. And now that's coming to an end, are, are there any moments or memories that you have of this that you are gonna take with you? Well, it's interesting because they were uh, approximately six, six and a half to seven minutes. So it was that, same format there was only a certain amount of dialogue and there was in a lot of gags i kind of felt like for a little moment that i was doing like a cartoon like that very similar to box office bunny it was three minutes so it was a little bit shorter but you really try to finesse the line because there's only six minutes of it we talked about him stepping back into the role of bugs for uh, tiny tunes university which was also incredible and he said it was it felt like stepping back into warm shoes like it was comfortable and it was you know it just felt right and it was a good fit and i i'm just i'm so 
I'm so thankful for the level of creativity, the talent behind these characters and voices and people that I've interviewed that I've got to chat with and that are associated with bringing Looney Tunes into the modern era from Eric Bauza to Jeff Bergman, Bob Bergen, Candy Milo. Oh, just, Bob it, Bergen was, oh gosh, it, Bob Bergen's amazing. It's an embarrassment of riches that I feel like a lot of people don't know that we're that we're in like we're in like a, a second golden age for Looney Tunes right now with this show headed by Pete Brongard, which is ending right now. Again, it is on HBO Max or it's on Max. Go watch it. And with Bugs Bunny Builders for Kids with mm-hmm. a brand new movie, Bubble Brain, coming out. And yes, it is coming out with Daffy and Porky in this same style with this same group of creatives. I I just, I, I look at all this stuff and obviously it wasn't here four years ago. <laughs> and, no, not at all. And I'm not at so all grateful that we are going to be getting this rebirth of Looney Tunes for a new generation and even a celebration for the older generation. And I, I, I'm just so glad that this is happening. And I'm so glad I was able to meet you and, you know, hang out with Eric and Ben and, and everybody at the booth. I mean, th- this Comic-Con was very magical to me and I'm going to treasure it for, for many years. So thank you for being there. Thank you. I mean, listen, I, got home and I'm and it's now a week's past and I still am on such a high from this because I I felt like I got to live up my dream a little bit my childhood dream because Looney Tunes has been a big part of my life growing up and it's still a big part of my life as an adult or lack thereof so it's for me I I got to see my childhood heroes and Meeting Jeff Bergman was such a thrill of my life. Watching him for these fans, doing the voice of Bugs, doing these voices that he used to do for them, for their nostalgia purposes, for their prosperity. Like like watching him doing his his job, but not his job. You know, I feel like this is not a job for him. This is just fun for him. So doing what he loves to do and and actually watching it happen right in front of me was just, there are no words to describe that. There's no words to describe how, how big my heart swelled up from just watching that. And we talk about a resurgence of the Looney Tunes and I, I look at it and I'm going, it really has been a resurgence of the Looney Tunes scope going into the Tiny Toons University, we got uh, the Bugs Bunny Builder Show for the kids, and it's and the movie coming out. It's it's I'm very excited for what else is to come for Looney Tunes, and I'm just so glad that there's so many people that are showing their love and appreciation for it now. It's just it's insane to me how much now they're they're coming out of the woodwork. I feel like they've always been there, but I feel like they're now speaking up and showing their love for it more recently than they have before. 
Very well said, and our retrospective on the entire series will be coming soon. But first, I want to focus on something you mentioned really quickly, which is Tiny Toons Luniversity. Now, it's just me here. I'm going to break away from the show to give you some insight into that indigo ballroom that we were so graciously allowed in to watch two full episodes of Tiny Toons Luniversity. And no, they were not in order. No, they did not uh, prep us for what we were about to see. Basically, they, they, they shut off the lights and up with the picture. And we were granted access to some wonderful animation, some incredible gag work. And overall, my takeaway is that the story writing and the episode structure really works for these characters. Obviously, the the child versions and, and who we know are Buster and Babs and Plucky and Hampton throw all of that, as we've said before, out the window because this is a new introduction to these characters. Now, I am not going to get into super specifics here because I know everyone is jumping at the bit for every little inkling of information they get. Jeff Bergman has said that the stories are awesome, the writing is great, and I would contest to that. From what I saw, I was laughing the entire time. I was having a ball with it, and while the characters are not the same that they were in... I guess spirit. There's a different spirit inhabiting these characters. Obviously, it's a different team, different animators, different writers. But the the way the way that these characters were portrayed was something I was very interested in and very intrigued by. And they took me on a journey at this Luniversity that I was enthralled with, and I wanted to stay there. I really wanted to go to school and this. In the school for cartoons, I wanted to be there. And this show really led us in the doors. We got to see some inner workings of things. We got shown around for the dorms. And right off the bat, we were put into this situation where two of the tunes were separated. And immediately you wanted them to not be separated and come back together. And that was the entire plot around the first episode that we were shown. So here's how I will tease the palette of this show. It is 30 minutes. It is a full episodic series. It is a series that we will grow with. The characters evolve from episode to episode. We were shown episodes one and three, so it was very early on, but they concluded their situations, their their issues that they needed to combat and overcome. They did that really well in a surprisingly efficient and creative way. That's all I'll say. And I was I I was so thrilled to see how the older Looney Tunes were affecting the plot. And you wouldn't think that. You, th- you would think that they're in the background. No. They, they come in the foreground. They come into the main storyline. And one of them even affects 
the entire school's water supply. I do not want to get into specifics here because I want it all to be a surprise for you. So what I will say is I was very pleasantly surprised by this. I cannot wait to see it fully finished. There was some little rough edits here and there and um, sound issues. I think they're going to, obviously they have some months to go. So they're going to clean all that up. The voice acting, it took maybe a millisecond to get used to the new voice actors for everyone except for Plucky. Plucky took me a little bit longer because he's a deeper registered Plucky, but that makes sense because these characters have aged. Everyone else, I think, does a really good job of embodying what came before, and obviously you have the immensely talented character actors behind, you know, Bugs Bunny, behind uh, uh, Granny, behind everyone that you would associate a voice with they are there. So Jeff Bergman, Candy Milo, Eric Bauza, everyone's doing a fantastic job that I've heard of so far. Um, I have yet to see Daffy, which is interesting. And a lot of respect is about to be put on Merlin the Magic Mouse's name. This character blew me away. And if they treat Cool Cat like they treated Ma Merlin the Magic Mouse, wow. There are people that are going to go back to watch the 70s cartoons. I cannot wait for that. And I cannot wait to see this entire series play out. And I'm going to leave it at that. One last thing. Plucky is exactly what Daffy would hate. He's despicable. Back to the show. I'll just say this. Go watch the shorts. Celebrate them. And admire them. And what a week. This has been the anniversary. The the 75th anniversary of Marvin the Martian's debut, the 70th mm -hmm. anniversary of Duck Dodgers, and the 83rd year since um, A Wild Hair and Bugs Bunny made his official debut. What a week. And aliens are now out there. <laughs> so I heard. So I've heard. So, Buzznav, where can the aliens find you? Uh, so if you are aliens, you should already be able to find me without having me tell you where I am. But for those earthlings that need to find out where I am located, you can find me on my socials at Instagram and threads at BuzzNav. And I'm also on Twitter at Buzzworthy Radio and on Facebook under the same name. My website, BuzzworthyRadioCast.com, has all of my information to where you can find my podcast i'm on amazon music i'm on iHeartRadio. i'm on spreaker i'm everywhere baby that's it amazing and you can follow the podcast over at this means pod or this means podcast every which way you look and ofc this means pod for as long as twitter is around who knows what's gonna happen now that's x who knows but you can follow me <laughs> any which way you would like to but the main site the main source for everything that i'm talking about is going to be on the instagram at this means podcast. So follow me over there. Be sure to tell your friends. If you don't have a Looney Tunes guy, now you do. I am he, and I've been your host. And it has been an honor to talk to you, Buzznov. Thank you so much for joining me in this wonderful conversation and retrospective on Comic-Con this year. And remember, that's not all, folks, because there's so much more to explore in the Looniverse. <laughs> Well, it's true, Doc. I'm a rabbit, all right. Would you like to shoot me now or wait till I get home? Shoot him now! Shoot him now! Well, I'd like to say happy anniversary. No, really what I want to say is congratulations! 10K! You reached 10K! 10,000!
<laughs> you didn't know that. And thank you to Looney legend himself, Jeff Bergman, for the wonderful audio, as well as sending the trailer over for us to play for our listeners.